You are listening to the Riverside Community Church Podcast. For more information, please visit us at www.riversideconnect.org. Good morning, everyone. Great to see you here today. My name is David. I'm one of the pastors here, and it's my joy to be able to share with you God's Word. I want to encourage you, if you would, to turn with me into Hebrews chapter 10. If you're listening by podcast, we welcome you this morning as well. And if you want to tweet some things or put some things on Facebook today, there's a hashtag there on the screen that you can take a look at. We're in this series, Home Stretch, Finishing the Journey of Faith. And if you're visiting with us today or you're newer, let me just kind of help you connect the dots. You're coming in about eight weeks into this series. We've got just a few more to go. And uh, each week we have been looking at a chapter or, or two from this book of Hebrews that was written by an author that we're, uh, we've got several options in terms of authorship on this particular book. And uh, it was written to people who were brand new and following Jesus or maybe who were coming from a Jewish background and still wrestling with whether or not they were going to begin that process making their life about following Christ. And so... We're glad that you're here today as you come in, and uh, you should know that we have a Riverside app that you can download and follow along. There's a live event note section in there. You can follow along today if you'd like. There are also some notes that you'll find uh, stuffed in your bulletins there if you'd like to uh, follow along there. Today we're going to talk about courageous confidence. Could you say that with me? Courageous confidence. And I want you to think about as we get going here today, when are you the most confident in your life? I've been thinking about that all week, and, and by, by nature, you also think about the times when you are not confident. Like this week, I saw that my, um, my nephew turned 18, and he went skydiving, and I thought, dear Lord, I would never jump out of a plane unless a perfectly good plane, unless there was something terribly wrong, and even then, you'd probably have to knock me out and throw me out the, the door. How many of you would just go, you'd be confident enough to go skydiving? You would just get ready to go there. All right. I think I'm seeing a small group forming, kind of an expensive small group, but, uh, you know, and hey, the great thing is, is if you don't like the person that gets into your group, you just mess with the pack and when they jump, you're not in the group anymore. (laughs) Sorry, not in my notes. I digress. when else? Are you? I, we went to Kennywood this summer, first time as a family, and uh, I was the one that held all the bags and everything because I am not confident on a roller coaster. How many of you would not be on a roller coaster with me? You'd be sitting there praying for those that you love on the roller coasters, all right? The rest of you, have fun out there, death, near-death experiences. Uh, hearing what we just heard... Um, With regard to construction, uh, I am not confident in that. In fact, I just have to let you in on a little conversation that our business administrator, Don Greb, and I had this week. I was uh, aware of the fact that these things are going on, and we're kind of at that stage where where demo is done, which is about all I would really be helpful for, and and I was out of town when that was going on. So I asked Don, I said, hey, I know this week, what are they going to be doing? He kind of told me, and he said, okay. So I I said to him, I said... "Um, Hey, the table is having their baptisms, which was outstanding this week. We'll, we'll share those with you. The, our, our young adult ministry, 18 to 29-year-olds, were at a pool this week, and they were having baptisms, and I wanted to go and be there to support and encourage and cheer on those who were, who were baptized. And uh, I said, Don, I've got that tonight, or, I, or you know, I feel like I need to be there to try to help too. And he said, David, you should go on to the baptisms. <laughs> so uh, I took that as a subtle hint. Uh, stay away. Pay attention to that. Uh, what about you? Where would you be most confident? Would you be confident? How many of you would say, hey, if, the tech, if, if I just decided I wanted to be done with preaching this morning and uh, you were going to be called on to do the public speaking, how many of you would not be confident in doing that? Let me see your hands. Okay, yep, I appreciate that. How many of you would be ready to lead worship 
if Dave just decided, you know, you were confident enough to do that. Yeah, see, we've got some things that we're confident in and some things that we're not. Some of us, we think about our confidence and we think, man, I could be so confident in the kitchen. Others of us, peanut butter and jelly is kind of scary for us, you know. So we all have something somewhere in between that we think about when we think about being confident. And today's text The writer of Hebrews really says some things that help us as it relates to following Jesus and where we place our confidence. And my hope is after our time together, whether you've been here for this whole series or not, if this is your first time today, that you can leave confident of some things very clearly. Now, we're going to be in Hebrews 10, as I mentioned, and we're going to start in verse 19, but I need you to give, I need you to understand the context for the first 18 verses of this chapter, because he's going to kind of go over some of the things that we've already talked about, and I want to just kind of summarize for us those first 18 verses. He says, in essence, as he has every week that we've been looking at this, that Jesus is better. Jesus is better than Abraham, the father of Judaism. He's better than Moses. He's better than Aaron. He's better than the Levitical priesthood. He's better than some obscure characters like we talked about a couple of weeks ago, a guy named Melchizedek, if you were here that week. He's better than the Old Testament sacrificial system. In fact, he's not just better, but he's the best. And that's what we've really been talking about week after week after week. And if you're yet to be a follower of Jesus, that's a pretty powerful, pretty bold claim, but the author and certainly those that were he were, was writing to have, had experienced how much better and actually how best Jesus really is. And so now, as we head into this chapter, he's talking about how the law was really a shadow of what was to come. It was kind of a dim foretaste, a, a, a preview. It was kind of a hint, an unclear picture of what was to come in the person of Jesus to help us to find our way back to our Heavenly Father. Animal sacrifices weren't enough. It took the ultimate sacrifice of Jesus' life, His death, and His resurrection so that we could have the way paved for us to experience the abundant life that God came in Christ to give us, and not just the abundant life in this life, but eternal life in the presence of our Creator. And Jesus modeled for us the posture of everyone who is to follow after Him. So if you say that you're a follower of Jesus, then our posture is really summed up in Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 9. And I want to put it on the screen because as he's walking through these first 18 verses, he makes mention of Jesus' posture, Jesus' words. In fact, this is a summary of what he said the very night that he was betrayed in the garden. Simply put, here I am. I have come to do your will. Now, I want to invite you, if you would, to say that aloud with me this morning. And for some of you, that may not be why you're here. It may not be true. But just for the sake of playing along so it's not awkward next for the person next to you, would you read that aloud with me today? Knowing that, hey, that might not be where you're at right now, but you're kind of just exploring. Maybe you're kind of thinking about this a little bit. It's amazing what happens when you hear yourself say something out loud. So could we read this together aloud together? One, two, three. Here I am. I have come to do your will. Now, that's what the posture of every Christ follower is supposed to really be about, not just when you come to church, but throughout the week, before your feet hit the floor in the morning. Lord, here I am. As I go out throughout today, I want to do your will. And how amazing a journey would it be in Christ to finish the journey of faith with with that being our central slogan over the course of a lifetime. 
As a result of Christ's redemptive work and what he did at the cross, we have been made holy when we put our faith in Jesus, and over the course of a lifetime, we are made holy. That's what the writer says in these first 18 verses. And when we submit to Christ's leadership and experience the forgiveness of our Heavenly Father, the Holy Spirit indwells us. And as we, as we um, follow Him, we are empowered by the Holy Spirit. When we embrace the work of the cross, we'll experience that newness of life as a result. And the covenant that, established was, that was established by Jesus' um, ministry, the superior ministry that He talks about all the way through Hebrews, gives us a superior ability to draw near to our Heavenly Father. And because of all of those things, we come to verse 19, and he says, therefore, brothers and sisters, because of all of this stuff that we've just said, because of what Jesus did at the cross, because of him sending his Holy Spirit to help us, therefore, since we have, what's that word? Confidence. Brothers and sisters, because of what Jesus did, we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way open for us through the curtain. That is his body. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Because of what Jesus did, he says we can have confidence. There is a boldness. There is a a courage. It means we come in without hesitation to the most holy place. Notice what he says in verse 20. He says we do this by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way that was opened up for us, actually his body. And the word for new means freshly slaughtered. And the word, and and then notice what he says there in that next part, he says, in a living way. So this way that we have because of the blood of Jesus, he he has been freshly slaughtered, brand new sacrifice, blood going everywhere. But yet at the same time, he's living, he's been resurrected. I love the imagery. He's freshly slaughtered and yet he's living. And we follow this one who has given his life for us. And because of that, we have confidence and we can follow him with courage. He goes on and he says, let us draw near to God with sincere hearts. In other words, an undivided allegiance at the very core of who we are in our inner being. Full assurance. It's a faith that knows no hesitation in trusting and in following Christ. And then notice how it says we can do this free from a guilty conscience from a sense of that guilt, a freedom based on the once and for all sacrifice of Christ at the cross. And so because of Jesus, we confidently approach our Heavenly Father. And Jesus does not merely show us the way to God. He actually takes us there with Him. Because of what Jesus did at the cross, we have an all-access pass to our Heavenly Father. Think about places over the course of your life. Maybe when you were uh, elementary age or you're in high school or even now as an adult, maybe teenagers, where do you wish that you could go that you can't go? Like for instance, when I'm walking and I see the signs in Target or Walmart or someplace like that and it says employees only, my first reaction is, is, 
I want to peer in. I probably would be scared to see what's in behind there, but I want to peer into there. Or the grocery store. This happened to me not too long ago. I was reaching in, and there's a world behind the, the glass and where the, you know, the, the refrigerated stuff. I reached in for some lettuce all the way down to the bottom, and I'm right here, and all of a sudden a hand reaches out at me. Ah! Somebody's back there. I want to know how they get back there. I want the all-access pass. Or when you go to a concert, how many of you have ever been backstage at a concert? Or maybe you've, you've wanted to go. You know, I got, all, one time I got an all-access pass to behind the stage on this concert I was at, and it was so cool to go back in there with the artists. And it's actually DC Talk before he was like, you know, Toby Mac was Toby Mac. This was like early, early on. And I'm back there, and I'm with those guys, and, and I had all-access pass that's exactly what Jesus did at the cross with you and your heavenly Father. You have no reason not to fully approach with confidence, not based on you. You see, when I go back in there with my, all, with my backstage pass and all access, it's not because I'm David Kennard. It's because I have the badge. I've paid the price to get in, to get back there, and Jesus paid the price so that you could have full confidence in approaching your heavenly Father. He takes us with him when we go in there. And our confidence, again, is not in our own ability and our own righteousness and our own goodness and our own abilities. That's not how we come near to God. We come near to God because of what Jesus did for us. We drop the pretenses and we honestly and sincerely interact with the Almighty and no hypocrisy allowed in this scenario. Our hearts and our bodies are made clean before God, and that enables us to have relationship with our Creator without guilt and without shame. Think of it like this. I know that I'm a big guy. I know I'm scary. And when I'm constantly walking around this place, and you've got your little preschoolers and your little elementary-age kids, and I try to interact with them every time, and they look up at you guys and they say, the scary man, talk to me. So I know if I talk to them like this from up here, I'm going to be intimidating. I know I'm going to be scary. So I do my best as much as I can. Someone may have to help me get back up, but I try to get down to here where I can have conversations with them, where I can have interactions with them. And that's exactly what your heavenly father did with you. He sent Jesus to bow the knee to humble himself, to give his life for you and for me so that we could have access. When I'm with your kids, many times I'll say, hey, come up here on stage. I'll invite them to come up and we'll walk around and we'll look at the drum cage or we'll look at the, some of the different things and I'll hold their hands if they'll let me and I'll have that interaction with them because I want them to know that this place is a place that they have access to, that someday they can be up here, someday they can be ministering because God has a call on their life. And your heavenly Father knelt down so that you and so that I could have access to him. Do you take advantage of that? Or do you shrink back? Do you keep at a distance? Or are you confidently approaching your heavenly Father? The invitation for all of us. And today might be your day to come and find that place where you're at peace with God. And you're free from the guilty conscience. Let's go on and see what he says next. Verse 23, because of all this again, let us hold unswervingly. That is a graphic term 
for not leaning over, not falling over, not wobbling. Let us hold unswervingly, steadfastly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider or take notice of how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. Because of Jesus, we confidently motivate one another. Notice it says there, let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. That word for spur means to stir up. It means to stimulate or encourage. It means to motivate. It's the idea that we watch over each other. We're concerned for each other. We're kind and we're helpful and we're compassionate to one another. We comfort each other when we're in need. We are also, it says, to encourage one another. And that word for encourage means not just a pat on the back, but it means we're to hold each other accountable. It means that we care enough about one another to confront each other when we start to see one another headed in the wrong direction in a sinful way. We love each other enough in humility to say, hey, that looks like sin. That looks like we're headed to a tra- for a train wreck. It is our job to look out for each other, to encourage one another, to keep an eye on each other. We're supposed to do that because we love each other, not because we come down on one another. In fact, our job is not to judge the outside world. So if you're here and you're coming in for the first time or you're newer and you're kind of wondering what, are, what is our posture on all that, God's got that. He's the judge of all that out there. He's our judge as well, but we take care of our business inside when we have relationship with each other. We do it out of friendship. We do it out of loyalty to God and to one another. We do it because we care for one another. And here in these verses, it's very interesting to me, our core values are all described right there in in those verses that we just read. He talks about getting together regularly. So, you know, this whole thing where it says, uh, do not give up meeting together. You're here today. You get to check that off. Be here regularly is what he's saying. Be with other believers to revere God and celebrate in a corporate environment. Come together. So I'm glad you're here today. I hope you'll see you next week. I hope I won't see you today and then at Christmas time, at Christmas Eve service, when it's my birthday. And if you need to know what I'm looking for for my birthday, just see me afterwards. I got got a few things there. Sorry, digressed again. Uh, So I want you to be here, not because I just want to be able to speak at you all the time, talk to you. I want to be able to have relationship with you, and you need to have relationship with each other. But he also goes on to say to spur one another on toward love, which is that whole connecting piece. We need to connect with each other. And next month... The third weekend in September, we're going to have an entire weekend devoted to focusing in on connecting with each other, and you'll have an opportunity to sign up for all the groups that are connecting groups here, C groups we call them, here at the church, and there'll be a sign-up rally. If you've been around, you know what that's all about. You'll have that opportunity the third weekend in September, and then the fourth weekend, he says not only to, to consider how we may spur one another toward love, but he also says good deeds, which is really all about serving each other and serving the world around us. And so the last weekend in February, you'll have the opportunity to sign up for contribute groups, C groups that will give you the opportunity to serve inside the body of Christ, but also out and around in all of the ways that we serve the communities around us. So revere, connect, and contribute are all right there, the very core of who we are to be as a family here at Riverside. If you're visiting with us, that's who we are. We want to be people who gather together to celebrate and revere God, worshiping and studying His Word in large groups, but you weren't made to look at each other's, the back of each other's heads. We're for, we were created for circles, which is really what the love 
and the good deeds is all about. So because of Jesus, because of that, we motivate each other. Because of what he's done in us, we advance one another. We stretch each other. Now, the next part, at the very end of that, he makes a reference. He says, we do all of this because we see the day. And notice that the day is capitalized. He's referring to some time in the future. And this next part is a little rough. If you're newer to, to the Scriptures, you're newer to the, uh, this body of believers, you're going to hear us talk about some things right now that we don't enjoy talking about, but they're there, so we can't avoid them. God said it through His Word, so we're going to address it. And honestly, what we have to say this morning about these verses, if we're confidently following Jesus, they're not necessarily a bother. But if we're not, maybe there's going to be a little angst. Maybe it's going to be a little uncomfortable. Let's read it together. I'll read it and you can follow along. Hebrews 10 and verse 26. If we deliberately keep on sinning after we have received the knowledge of the truth, no sacrifice for sins is left, but only a fearful expectation of judgment and of raging fire that will consume the enemies of God. Anyone who rejected the law of Moses died without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. Just thank God you don't live in the days of Moses. How much more severely do you think someone deserves to be punished who has trampled the Son of God underfoot, who has treated uh, as as an unholy thing the blood of the covenant that sanctified them, and who has insulted the Spirit of grace? For we know, and I love how the author puts himself into this, it's any of us are capable of this at any time. For we know him who said, and then he's going to quote, as he does a lot, He's going to quote an Old Testament reference in Deuteronomy 32. It's mine to avenge, I will repay, and again the Lord will judge his people. It is a dreadful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Because of Jesus, we confidently await our judgment. And notice what he says here. After we deliberately, excuse me, if we deliberately keep on sinning. In other words, we defiantly, we willfully We have planned it out. It is persistent. It is determined. There is forethought to that. If we live like that, we are not followers of Christ. That's what this is saying. There will come a day. The Scriptures teach that there will be judgment for all of us, and there's no way around that. So if you're going to follow Jesus, that's something that you've got to wrestle with. You've got to get a hold of. If you're not following Jesus, this is not meant to be a pressure, high-pressure sales pitch today, but it is my job to give you the whole counsel of Scripture. And there are, when he talks about the day coming, that means there's a day of reckoning. There will come a day for all of us, followers of Christ or not, when we will answer for how we have lived our lives while we have been on this earth. There are two days in spe- specifically that the Scriptures mention. I put them in your notes. One of them is referring to the great white throne judgment, and the other one is the judgment seat of Christ. The great white throne judgment is a day that's coming for those who don't choose in this life to follow Christ. That is the day where they stand before their Creator, and they say, you know what? I didn't want you in this life. God says, I don't want to force you to be with me in eternity. And so they spend the rest of eternity without Him. The judgment seat of Christ is for those that have decided to follow Jesus. They have decided to live their lives in a way that reflects that they belong to Him. That's the conversation where we say, Lord, 
thank you for saving me. Lord, thank you for redeeming me. I confidently come to this. I've lived my life in such a way that you know I wasn't perfect. I know I wasn't perfect. But I'm here today before you, thankful for your grace and your mercy. And in that moment, he says, welcome home, child. Well done, good and faithful servant. When there's a discussion in that point about how we've lived our lives and what eternity looks like, But those are the day, when it says the day, it's talking about a day of reckoning, a day when we have to give an account for what we've done with our lives during the course of our lives. So it's a time for us to reflect today. It's a time for us to think about those that we love that maybe aren't following Jesus yet, to pray for them, to live in such a way that shows them that we belong to Jesus, not in a cocky arrogance. This is not confidence. This is, hell's going to be hotter for you. Sorry to hear that. It's not what we're talking about here. This is a brokenness from those of us who follow Christ. This is an awareness of people around us. And maybe you're here today because somebody invited you because they wanted you to hear the good news today. And the good news is that we don't have to be afraid of judgment. We don't have to be afraid of our day of reckoning. We can confidently approach that because of Jesus and his shed blood. And if your confidence is based on anything else, it's misplaced confidence. Today is the day to align yourself with God and His purposes. How do you get ready for those days of reckoning? How do you prepare yourself? I was looking through the Scriptures and studying that because it's something that I'm constantly aware of. And I think that one of Jesus' early followers, John, one of His disciples, wrote some amazingly clear words about how we get ready. 1 John chapter 2 and verse 28. Take a look at it. And now, dear children, continue in him. That means Jesus. Continue in Jesus so that when he appears, we may be what? Let's try that again. So that when he appears, we may be confident and unashamed before him at his his coming. How are you going to be confident? How are you going to be unashamed? How are you going to be ready and be able to embrace your day of reckoning whenever that day comes? And quite frankly, we have no guarantee that that won't come today for any of us. So how will you be ready? You continue in him. Jesus said, I am the vine. We are the branches. We stay connected to him. We stay living in him. We follow him. That's what we're here to do, to help you as a church. If you look at that and you say, I have no idea how to continue in him, I want you to see me afterwards because we have ways, very clear ways of helping you to do that. Jesus left some blindingly clear instructions about how to continue in him, and we will help you to do that so that you're not timid so that you're not shy that day that you stand before him so that you can be confident. Last several verses here. Because of Jesus, as we're going to see, we're going to confidently lean upon God's faithfulness. Love what he says here. He talks about two areas, God's past faithfulness and his permanent faithfulness. Look at it with me in verse 32. Remember, in other words, carefully think back reconstruct this in your mind. Remember those early days after you have received the light when you endured in a great conflict full of suffering. Sometimes you were publicly exposed to insult and persecution, and other times you stood side by side with those who were so treated. 
You suffered along with those in prison and joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property because, notice this, you knew you, you, you yourselves had better and lasting possessions. There was a confidence that when the suffering was coming, that God would be with them. He refers to specific things that their history the time of suffering. He uses that great conflict. That's, a, that's another word for contest. Or it has the, it's an athletic term. It's a, it's a wrestling. There was an ugly time in their history. And he's challenging them to remember that God had cared for them in a former time of suffering. And it challenges us to remember that too. This year, what have you faced? We're a little over halfway through this year. Think back, reflect on what he's helped you with in the last year, in the last five years, in the last ten years, in the deepest, darkest moments, reflect and remember what He has done for you. What trials do you face today? Lean upon the Lord and remember His presence, His peace, and His power in your situation today. That's what He's saying. Because of Jesus and what He's done, we confidently lean upon our Heavenly Father and His faithfulness. And then notice what He says in verse 35, talking about the future and the permanent faithfulness of God. So do not throw away your what? Confidence. Don't throw it away. It will be richly rewarded. You need to persevere so that when you have done your own will. (laughs) No. Remember what we started with. It's done the will of God. We persevere so that when we have done that will, you will receive what he has promised. We don't fully get a hold of that because we're not persecuted like they were. But God was holding out through the writer the promise that, no, that even though they would be persecuted, there would be help. Then he's going to quote Habakkuk 2, one of those Old Testament prophets, a very small book. In verse 37, he says, For in just a little while, he who is coming, that means Jesus, will come and not delay, and my righteous one will live by faith. I take no pleasure in the one who shrinks back. But we, notice this, we do not belong to those who shrink back and are destroyed, but to those who have faith and are saved. Because of what Jesus did, we have that confidence, and we will not shrink back. And whatever the present holds, whatever the future holds, you can depend on His continuous care for you. And no matter what you're going to face this day and this coming week, life will bring forks in the road and you will have a decision. Am I going to take the easy road, the low road, or am I going to take the higher road that may be difficult, that may be hard, that may be a time of stretching, a time where your faith grows, a time that may seem lonely, a time that seems narrow and the enemy throws ice on the, on the edge of the cliff and you're slipping around and you look around and you say, am I all alone in this journey? And then all of a sudden you find that there are some other people in the journey with you who are taking this seriously, who are following Jesus, who are confidently basing their faith upon what Christ did in his shed blood for you, and you walk together, not forsaking the assembling together, spurring one another on toward love and good deeds. You're in it, in with others. Not isolated, not alone. And your confidence rises as the difficulty comes, and you find yourself persevering through the trials, through the difficulties. That's what Jesus offers us at the cross. Redemption from our brokenness, forgiveness of our sin, 
and a confidence that we could not possibly have outside of what he did. The writer writes to a group of people who have lived their whole journey basing their confidence upon some ability to not do enough bad things and to do enough good things, and it was exhausting them, and they were broken down because of it. And so he offers them a new way, a different way. I'm going to invite our worship team to come back, and we're going to conclude with a time of response. And as they're coming, I want to ask you some questions. I want to ask you about where your confidence is today. Who is your confidence in? What is your confidence in? When I was reading those verses earlier about the judgment of God, are you afraid of your heavenly Father? Those verses were talking about people that intentionally, willfully, deliberately, strategically decide they're going to thumb their noses at God. And I'm grateful today that I'm not the judge. And you should be too. You're not the judge either. There's only one judge. And when you have died for mankind, given your life, you've beaten death and you've come back from the grave, you've earned the right to be the judge. So you don't have to be afraid today. You can confidently approach your heavenly father. You can confidently motivate each other, encourage one another, build each other up, hold each other accountable. You can confidently do that knowing that it's because of Jesus that you can do that. You can confidently await judgment and you can confidently lean upon his faithfulness no matter what you might be struggling with today. You can persevere. God has sent his Holy Spirit to help you to do that. So in just a moment, I'm going to invite you to stand and we're going to pray and then we're going to sing. And this, I'm going to get off the stage and these altars are going to be open. And this is your chance to respond to what you've heard today. Where is your confidence? Is it in something other than Jesus and his shed blood? And today you can say, Jesus, I don't want my confidence to be anything else but in that because of what you did for me at the cross. And you can find a place to pray and ask him to forgive you Ask him to cleanse you. Ask him to make you new and whole from your brokenness. And you can ask him to help you to have confidence and to courageously follow him. Others of you, you know you've been playing the game for a while. You know you're not where you need to be. Maybe this summer you've kind of been forsaking the assembling together. And today's your day back. And your heavenly father is kneeling down and he's saying, hey, come approach. Come boldly. Have courage. I'm not here to beat you over the head. I'm here because there's grace and there's mercy, and you're going to come and you're going to do some thing, business with God. Others of you, you know that you need to have a conversation with somebody who is kind of not following right now. It's time for you to encourage somebody, and that's going to be difficult, and you need prayer for that. You come and you talk to God about that. Others of us, as we think about these verses, we're going through a difficult time and we need to persevere and we need to come and ask Jesus' help to persevere. There'll be some folks on either side to pray with you this morning if you want them to pray with you. Maybe nothing of what I've said is what you want to come talk to Jesus about. You're going to talk to him about something else. But my prayer for all of us is that we would not hold back. We would not, I love, I love how the writer says, 
We will not shrink back. We have faith and we are saved. We pray like it. We live like it. We head back to the schools these next couple of weeks and we will not shrink back. We head back to the classrooms. We head back to work tomorrow. We will not shrink back. We will keep moving forward. Would you stand? I want to pray and then we're going to respond. We're going to worship. Jesus, thank you for not shrinking back from your mission. Lord, you said, here am I. Here I am. I have come to do your will. Lord, as we come to you around this altar, as we respond in song, as we seek you this morning, that's the desire of our heart. That's the desire of our will today is to do your will. So help us not to shrink back. I pray for students in this room that are headed back to school, that you will give them courageous courage and confidence that they can walk onto their campuses and make a difference. I pray for teachers that are headed back, that maybe already have headed or are headed back these next couple of weeks, that you will help them to courageously and confidently do what's right, even when it's difficult. I pray for administrators. I pray for everyone that's headed back to work. I pray for business owners and managers that are leading in their environments, that you would help them to courageously not shrink back from following you and doing what's right, that they will confidently do what would most honor you that would be your will. I pray for men in this room who will not shrink back from leading their families passionately to follow you. Who will, I pray for moms and dads that will lead their children in such a way that they will not shrink back from doing your will. I pray for those that are even today headed to environments where they'll be with family and friends and it's their time to have those conversations that they will not shrink back from them. And God, I pray for those that are considering faith in you. They wouldn't just walk away today that they'd put their trust and their faith in your shed blood. Lord, hear us all now as we respond. In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Riverside Community Church Podcast. For more information, please visit us at www.riversideconnect.org.